0: If you would, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, and I will start reading in verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that that same hour, he rejoiced, In the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my father, and no one knows who the son is except the father or who the father is except the son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. So the 72 are a group of Jesus' disciples that he has sent out to essentially prepare the way for him. If you read in the whole context of Luke chapter 10, you see that he sends them out, they go and prepare the way for him, and then he comes along behind them. And they return really happy and they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They returned all hyped up from the mission trip that they had been sent on. Does that sound familiar to anyone? You ever go on a conference or a uh, trip that was spiritual in nature and return all excited and all eager to do all that you learn and put it into practice? That's what happens to them. And this is no small thing. I mean, you would be excited too. Think if you were in this situation. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. There is joy in victory. When you see the word and the power of God at work, collapsing opposition and destroying the work of the enemy in your life, it is amazing. And it can bring such excitement. And so before we move on, there is good news here. There is much good news, much to be excited about. There is power in Jesus's name, not the actual syllables that we pronounce, not the noises coming out of our mouth, Jesus Christ, like that sound in itself doesn't have power. But the point is, is the Message of Christ the authority of Christ and the presence of the spirit as Christ Jesus of Nazareth is exalted that has power because he is real he is the God who is there. The name of Christ operating with his authority even is what gives us power. And note. That there is an exclusivity to operating, doing ministry in Jesus's name. We can't just be doing good things for the sake of doing good things. We can't just be wanting to help people because we want to help them. It must be in Christ's name. The demons are subject to us in your name. It must be Christian, what you're doing. It can't just be good by world standards. Verse 18, this is how Jesus responds to the 72. He said to them, "I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven." There's no question to Christ's dominance. On our average Sunday morning for the last several months, we're we have around 80 or so people. So less than our average number of people go out into the world by twos and threes to proclaim the gospel to proclaim Christ's commands and to tell them that the kingdom is near and Satan himself falls like lightning so look around you see the people in this room we have more than 72 people here operating in Christ's name on his authority with his power speaking his commandments and his gospel Satan cannot withstand you because you operate in the authority of Christ. There is no question to his dominance. It's not yin-yang. It's not there's good in the world and there's bad in the world and they're fighting against each other and it's kind of questionable how it's going to end. And then Jesus shows up at the end and tips the scales in good's favor, right? That's not what is happening here. If you've read the beloved uh, novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, When Aslan finally confronts the witch after he has made sacrifice to cover Edmund's sins, there's no question. There's no fight. She knows her time is done. The Lion of Judah, the son of man, the king of glory, is here, and there is no question to his authority and rule and dominance. And I'll just say a word to men in this room. I think brothers, our sisters do a good job of, of embodying the compassion and the care of Christ and serving. If you take almost any study, shows that women in the church are more eager to do things of service than men. Men, behold your king. This is the one you're called to serve. He's not some weak. Moral, ethical teacher, he's your king and he summons you to his service, just as David did with his mighty men. Might you and I be that kind of man who would see this king and see it as not a loss to go and risk our lives just to bring him a drink of water. And notice, it's not just him. It's not just Jesus going out there. He sends the 72 in front of him. It's not just Jesus who has this authority. This happens. The Satan falling down from heaven like lightning happens when we operate, when we serve, when we live with the primacy of his name and his word and his commands and his gospel. Verse 19. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. So we have to ask the question, does this apply to us now, or is this something that was special for the 72 who were sent? Or what they were supposed to do after this fact? It's an important question, and Jesus says himself in Luke 22, he refers back to this incident and says that some of the things that he has said are different now. But setting that aside for now, let's ask this question. What does the church have? What do we have? We have the power of the Holy Spirit promised in Acts 1.8, and you will receive power from on high. We have the authority and preeminence of the word of God. 1 Peter 1.24 and 2 Timothy 3.16. And we have the promise that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. And what does that mean? Gates don't advance, right? Gates don't move. They open and close. But how, how, what is Jesus saying when he says the gates of hell shall not prevail? The idea is that even the condemnation of sin can't prevent what the church is supposed to be doing. The most pure and perfect pronouncement of justice from God's throne in heaven, even can't undo what God has given the church to do. But at the same time, at the same time, while we have the power of the spirit, we have the authority and preeminence of the word of God, and we have the promise that the gates of hell cannot advance against us, they can't prevent this mission from happening. At the same time, we will have trouble. We will have opposition. We will have the hatred of the world. They hated me, so they will hate you. And in the estimation of the world, they will look at how we are living in response to the call of Jesus, and they will say it's a wasted life. If you're doing it right. So where is our victory? Where in what do we see this victory? Because the church looks weak in many instances. We're not advancing. We're not this Satan falling from heaven like lightning. So so where do we see the victory? We have to remember that, as Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual forces of darkness in the high places. That is our wrestle. That is our fight. Today is Celebration Sunday, and so we're celebrating the life that Jesus brings. It's also Sanctity of Life Sunday. So as we speak of the Sanctity of Life we need to understand it in the context of this spiritual battle. It is spiritual warfare. What spiritual warfare is not is all of the crazy movies you see about exorcisms. Spiritual warfare is truth battles. From 2 Corinthians ten three, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. So arguments, opinions, knowledge, and thoughts, we take them captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. That's our fight. It is a spiritual warfare that we are engaged in. It is a truth battle. We must reassert our confidence in the gospel. No idea or argument can stand up to the force, the sheer power of the gospel faithfully and clearly explained. The big idea here is that the, in the gospel, you have the call To the lordship of Jesus and the offer of forgiveness of sins in his name. That is our weaponry. That is how we must advance as Christians against the work of evil and the enemy in the world. As we talked about last week, loving one another, being the kind of community that the gospel is supposed to create. That's proof that the world needs to see that this is legit. few points of application before we move to verse 20. We are going to get through this, Lord willing. What kind of life do you need to live so that you can actually have conversations with people who don't know the Lord? Often, we want to program a politician or a new policy to do our work for us, to do this spiritual warfare, to do these truth battles for us. Are you ready to speak compellingly of the Lord? What kind of life do you need to lead to show that you're trustworthy when you say that Jesus is better than fornication? Jesus is better than avoiding the inconvenience of having another child? What kind of life do you need to lead to give off the aroma of the coming day of judgment? The sad thing is, is that we live just like the world most of the time. Except in the time and spaces that they can't see on a Sunday morning. Why does it matter to follow Jesus's commands? And to live a life in accordance with his commands. Because Jesus is coming again to judge the living and the dead. That's why it's not just a new way of life. It is the only way of life if you hope to for things to go well for you on judgment day. What kind of work do you need to do to be confident enough in the gospel to proclaim it to anyone who will listen? because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the means by which we take captive all of these thoughts and arguments and lofty things lifted up against the knowledge of God. It's the gospel. And that's why uh, starting next week, we'll begin or at least with an intro into a series on just the gospel. We need to reassert, reconfirm our confidence in the gospel that in it is contained the authority and power over the spirits and all opposition to the things of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no question if something can withstand its power. It can't. And it may go very badly for us in the world's eyes as we seek to be faithful in presenting that truth to the world, but the world can't stand against it. They can stand against a political party or a law or a practice or a program or a social movement, but they cannot withstand the gospel. And in verse 20, we have a big plot twist. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So, on Celebration Sunday, the, the whole idea behind Celebration Sunday is that God commands us over and over and over again in the Old Testament to rejoice. It's a command, and that kind of sounds odd. You're going to be happy. You better. God commands you to rejoice in Him. And so, we set these aside once a quarter to get together and rejoice. And to express gladness and to exhort one another to be glad. And here's the thing. God doesn't just want you to be happy. He wants you to be happy and rejoice for the right reasons. He cares about why you're happy. You can see it right here. Don't rejoice in this. Rather rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in the mere fact that we have the gospel and that it has such power. But rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. Is your name written in heaven? Can you rejoice in this? How can I know? Have you abandoned hope in everything but Christ alone? The way you know if that has happened in your heart is if you've repented of sin, turned away from sin, and trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and follow him as Lord. That's the gospel, that forgiveness and life and peace are found in his name alone. Because Jesus is the only one who died, the only one who was raised from the dead, the only one who made payment for the penalty of sin. So he commands us, he tells us, don't rejoice in this, that you have power, that the spirits are subject to you, that you can defeat the world through the gospel. Don't rejoice in that. Rejoice rather in this. So how does this command from God change our priorities as it concerns the life of the defenseless? A couple of things. We should not be satisfied that prospective mothers just don't murder their babies. We should want them to know that the Lord Jesus is real, to repent of their sins and find forgiveness in His name. A lot of people who have never murdered anyone are on their way to hell right now. And the only way they can be spared this just sentence is to repent and find forgiveness in the name of Jesus. I listened through. I have a lot of time to listen to things uh, recently. Um, I began in Galatians and just listened through the rest of the New Testament. And I just—you never know what's going to happen when you read or listen with that big of bulk. But this time, the, the impression was—and do we do we really sense heaven above us? the glory of that, and then the, the horror of hell beneath us. Do we really live in that plane between eternity? Do we see it? Do we sense it? Do we really believe that that is real? That your neighbors have a soul that will never die? The second implication, I think, is that we shouldn't be satisfied with eventually, Lord willing, and we should pray all the more that this should happen, that Roe versus Wade be overturned one day. We shouldn't be satisfied with that. We should want to be salt and light to such a degree that we continually confront the godlessness of a secular world that made such a law a possibility in the first place. Are you salt and light? We have a prophecy, a promise from God that things will continue to go from bad to worse. So what are you going to do about it with your life? Are you going to try to stand against that and prevent the world from going from bad to worse? You can try. And you should. And the world will destroy you. But the way you do that is to be salt and and light and present the truth of Jesus and the call of repentance because hell is real and heaven is real righteousness sin justice these are all things that are going to happen it's going to end the world will always be opposed to the things of God And it's much more pervasive than just the pro-life and pro-choice debate. It's fine to be a single-issue voter. That's completely okay. But you cannot be a single-issue Christian. It's all of it. All of his commands. Teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Being a disciple means all of it. Is your life so visibly submitted to the lordship of Christ and committed to the well being of your brothers and sisters that people might just have to pay attention to you when you say that you oppose abortion or any number of other things? Lastly, or second to last, we should not be satisfied with the decline of abortions. Thank the Lord they are declining. But we ought to be the first to treasure life at all points of life, beginning at conception. Why? Because Jesus is the Son of God in Mary's womb from the moment of conception. And not just human embryos, they're humans too, but orphans. Foster care, there are families in our church who are pro-life in that way. They are sacrificing their lives to be foster parents, and you can help them. Maybe you don't have to be a foster family, but you can help them. And the elderly, all of life is God's. Christians must be so radically pro-life in all arenas that we are known as the people of life. How is this all connected to what Jesus is saying here? Rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. This is none other than the book of life. The Lamb's book of life. People are created to know God and to worship Him. This is what it means to be made in His image. From the moment of conception onward, God owns you in a very special way. He owns everything. He owns everything, but He has a special ownership of human life. Of every human life and every human soul because we are made in His image, meaning that we are made to know and worship Him in love forever. This book, Lamb's Book of Life, is a celebration that Jesus is the only one who can restore us to the life that we were supposed to live. We are to be pro-life mainly because Jesus is the one who can give life. We are a, Jesus is the most pro-life person that exists because he comes to fix the problem with life, that a life separated from God and given over to sin will end in death. And not just physical death, the second death severed from God. So rejoice, rejoice if you are in Christ. Your life here will pass as a vapor. But life is something that God has designed and will have as His possession forever. Rejoice in the life of Jesus. He is making all things new and He brings life to all who trust in Him. If We care about life. We want people to live. We want people to have life as it was meant to be. You've got to be a Christ-first Christian. You've got to be a gospel-first Christian. Christian because that's the only way to life I am the way I am the truth I am the life no one comes to the father except through me do we believe that when we're encountering people we don't just want them to have a better quality of life here in that same hour verse 21 in that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said I thank you father Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Jesus rejoices. So he commands them. He says, don't rejoice in this, rather rejoice in this. And then immediately after, Luke records that Jesus rejoices. So he's essentially showing us what it looks like to rejoice in the way that he's commanded us to rejoice we would do well to imitate him. Because of this life that Jesus gives us, and because we get to bring this life to other people, how should we rejoice? God cares about how we rejoice, and he, he, he's very particular about how he wants us to rejoice. And so let's look at Jesus. It says, in that same hour, there's this immediacy and spontaneity in Christ's rejoicing. That when God brings the truths and the ideas of what he has done to you. And when you see it at work in your life, you can't help but be moved to rejoicing. And it won't look the same every day. Sometimes it will be tears. Sometimes it will be laughing. But don't quench the spirit when God so moves you to rejoice. In that same hour, immediate and spontaneous, in the Holy Spirit, The work of the Holy Spirit is to move us away from sin and towards righteousness. The Spirit's work is to conform us to the image of Christ. So anything that you have in your life that you would call rejoicing or joy or happiness that is not at least in the seedbed of holiness and towards God isn't Christian rejoicing. It's the happiness of the flesh. Rejoicing in the Holy Spirit And he says, I thank you, Father, a verbal expression in the hearing of others towards God, not just general happiness. It's towards God. It's in in view of God. It's as if God is immediately with you and you speak to him in your joy because your joy is from him. You see it as a gift, the life that he has given you to rejoice in him. That's why you exist. And so you express it. You say it in the hearing of others. And he says, Lord of heaven and earth. He rejoices in God's lordship and sovereign rule. Then he says something we don't expect. Jesus does this often. And he rejoices. Understand the context. He's rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. And this is what he praises God for. That you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. Paul says that in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. We don't have to be the smartest people on the planet in order to know God. Amen? He's hidden it from the wise. He has made it so that the wisdom of man cannot reach Him. He's rejoicing. Jesus is rejoicing. And we ought to rejoice as well that the way to the cross, the way to Jesus, the way to heaven, is humility and lowliness and weakness. And revealed them to little children. Rejoice that he has drawn near to the lowly. Then he says, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Rejoice that God's grace is the main story. We are under the reign of grace. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is his will. It's his gracious will. And the offer goes out to all to join this kingdom. Verse 22. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. All things, just if you if you're the type of person to circle or underline anything in your Bible, that's one to do. All things. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father or the Father or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. The life of the Son is a gift. It is a gift received through His revelation. So we must ask, we must plead with Him to reveal Himself to us. So there's two questions that are essentially the same question that we end with. How can we work to see Him? And how does Jesus bring life? It's the same thing because beholding the Son in His glory is life. How does Jesus bring this life to us? How does He reveal Himself to us? It's in His broken body, His shed blood, and His resurrection. This is how Jesus brings life by giving of Himself as the hymn says, crown him the Lord of life who triumphed o'er the grave, who rose victorious to the strife for those he came to save. His glories now we sing who died and rose on high, who died eternal life to bring and lives that death may die. And so we come to the table. Because in his body, in his broken body, in his shed blood, he has invited us to partake of his life. So on a Celebration Sunday that is also Sanctity of Life Sunday, the thing that makes most sense for us to do is to celebrate that we have life in his name. We have life in his broken body and shed blood. So we're doing it this way. We did this uh, Christmas Eve and it was received so well by everyone who spoke to me about it. I want to read from 1 Corinthians 11 beginning in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So I'm gonna pray. And as I pray, be examining yourselves. This table is for those who confess the Lord Jesus as their savior. So what we're gonna do, just to keep it a little bit organized, we're gonna do clockwise for you guys. So if y'all want to come to the front, On this side, even if you're sitting over here, just go back around and come this way and then return to your seats around so that it doesn't get a traffic jam. But the idea, the spiritual significance of this is that by rising from your seat, coming and taking of the bread, you are proclaiming that this is yours. We won't do it always this way, but I think it is meaningful and significant, at least for a time, that you would take the bread, dip it in the cup, and take it unto yourself saying, yes, this is mine. I don't, it's not just being handed to me and I secretly by myself do it in front of your brothers and sisters saying, yes, this is mine, this is true of me. I trust in the Lord Jesus. And if you are in a situation where you say, this would not be true of me or this would be an unworthy manner, then just remain in your seat. I've been in that situation many a time where I said, you know what? It would be unworthy of me to take it now. And the call is to get it right, get things straight so that next time you can. But if this is your confession, then the table is for you. You don't have to be a member of this church. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're living a life of repentance in his name, then come to the table. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for life. That it is sacred. And we have ruined it through sin. Even the life we live now is but a shadow, a broken, decaying version of what you meant life to be. Thank you that in Jesus' death, in his shed blood and broken body on the cross, you have made a return to the life that you meant life to be, and even better than it was in Eden, an open invitation to us. Help us celebrate that with heavy hearts because of what it cost, but with joy and gladness because of the promise and the glory that Christ received by doing this for us. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, and for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall defy the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Amen. Father, we thank you for your body. we praise you that you have done this out of your great mercy and love ask that as we seek to obey you all the more you remind us that it is all of grace from start to finish it's in jesus name we pray amen So now's the time that we're gonna have uh, several people come to the front uh, to be uh, welcomed as new members and affirmed as being members. Um, So I'll explain a little bit about that. So if we would have, you know who you are, just go ahead and line up here in front of the table, if you would. So you might see some very familiar faces, and what I want to do in this time is explain a little bit. um, We're just affirming that they are, in fact, members, uh, because uh, they've been baptized in this church, but our rules are not clear about what happens when a person is baptized if they haven't gone through also the new members class. So now they've done all of that, and I've met with each of them, much to... uh, I hope I didn't bore you all with the, the meetings that we've had. And we're also welcoming officially uh, Glenn and Barbara and Pat and Lila uh, and and Dottie uh, to us, uh, just affirming all of them as members. So we're just gonna do what has been afforded to the rest of you who have joined since I've been here uh, as a significant time for their lives. So I'm just gonna read a few things and if you just respond by I do and then I will ask you to stand at the end, and Lord willing, you'll welcome these as members officially. In being baptized, you are marked as members of Christ's church, the Church Universal. It is our joy to welcome you today as members of this congregation. We believe that the Holy Spirit has led you to this congregation at this time for your own good and for the good of this congregation. We invite you now to affirm your faith in Christ and express your commitment to the life of this church and mission God has given to us. Do you affirm once again that as a sinner, you are totally incapable of saving yourself and that what you deserve from God is His just punishment? Do you affirm once again that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior And that it is only by faith in him that you are acceptable to God and welcomed into his family. Do you affirm once again that the Bible is the word of God and that you will live your life according to the principles and commands of scripture in the care and discipline of this church? Do you promise to join with us sharing your gifts in our worship and fellowship in keeping our church covenant and in seeking the kingdom of God in this world. Now, if you would all stand with us if you're a member of this church. Do you promise to receive Glenn, Barbara, Jonah, Annaline, Levi, Pat, Lila, and Dottie in love as your brothers and sisters in Christ, supporting them with your fellowship and prayers and recognizing their gifts inviting them into the life and mission of our congregation and exhorting them to persevere in the faith. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to sing uh, just one more song together. And if anything that has been said has moved you, you, if you need prayer, if you need encouragement, if you need to ask a question, you can come and find me or find the person you came with, or just use this time to reflect. We've seen the gospel portrayed in this uh, ordinance, and we have heard the word of God preached. So just use this time as a time of reflection and prayer, and if you need encouragement, prayer, or need questions answered, you can find me. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for everything that we've seen and celebrated here today. I pray that you would lift us up and encourage us, seeing that you are working in people's lives, that it's not just us and you as individuals, it's all of us together, and you are at work. I pray that you would uh, strengthen our unity and that you would do so for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.